0: is sorta awesome. Welcome back, awesomes. You are listening to the show that is all about helping you be smart, strong, and social. We are in your earbuds every single week with all the awesome that you need to know. And you can also find us on Instagram at Sorta Awesome Show or over on Facebook in our Sorta Awesome Hangout group. This is episode 198 of Sorta Awesome, We are all heading into full-on summer mode. And if you're anything like me, then all of your systems kind of go offline during summer vacation. It's easy to lose track of things. We don't want you to lose track of Sorta Awesome. So we are going to continue to have brand new episodes throughout this summer. So we want to make sure that you don't miss a thing, and you can do that by making sure that you're following us over on Instagram. We always post new episodes over there. We find a way to work in some funny memes, some awesome thoughts here and there. So if you haven't already, please do come and find us over on Instagram at Sorta Awesome Show. Okay, awesomes get excited because this is an episode that many of you have reached out and requested that we do. If you are part of our awesome community on Facebook, then you already know and probably love and admire and respect this week's guest so much. Karen McVeigh is here with me today, and many of you all already know her as someone who is always there with compassionate, wise, and empowering advice for all kinds of things in life, but especially in parenting. Karen is a stay-at-home mom of seven kids, ages 9 to 24. She's been married for 27 years to her college sweetheart, Brian, and she's a clergy wife. She has lived in many different states and countries and is currently living in Nashville. Her passions include reading, making and eating yummy food, all things British, and smashing the patriarchy. So Karen McVeigh, welcome to Sorta Awesome. Hi Meg, it's awesome to be here. I am so thankful that you were able to take time out of your obviously very busy schedule, your busy week to come to Sorta of Awesome. Some of you all may feel like you've known Karen for a long time through our Hangout community. I have known Karen longer. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to throw that out there. Oh my gosh, Karen, how long has it been now? I mean, it's obviously over 14 years, right? I think we're coming up on the 15-year mark, aren't we? That's what I was thinking if I'm doing my math correctly, which is always, you know, up for question, (laughs) up for debate. But Karen and I first met and connected many a year ago through what began as a birth club board through babysitter.com, which Karen, did you know those things are still up and running? Wow, I did not know that It's been it's nine been years while. since I've had a baby so
1: <laughs> yes, <laughs> but those are an awesome resource for new moms. I don't know what I would
0: have done without my due date club communities, yes, totally, absolutely. It was a total lifesaver for me by the time you and I met, you were expecting baby number five. is that right? I was I was right where you are, yes, okay, and I was expecting our first Daisy. <laughs> And so we met and connected to that community that later became a private parenting messaging board. And we have just been able to stay connected through the years. And those of you who have reached out and been like, why don't you ever have Karen McVeigh on the show? Because you want to hear more of her advice and her wisdom and her perspective. You all are absolutely right. Karen is somebody who I personally have trusted as a parenting mentor and really just kind of unofficial life mentor, really, <laughs> through the years. Oh, thank you, Megan. You're so sweet. Well, that is absolutely true. So I crafted a whole bunch of questions that we're going to throw at Karen here in just a few minutes. And we're going to cover all things like sort of just parenting wisdom, some philosophical questions, and also some practical reality questions based on things that are frequently brought up in the hangout group, things that are awesomes who are parents are like, what do I do about this? We're going to see what Karen has to say. But first, Let's go ahead and start this show the way we always do with our awesomes of the week. It's that moment in the show where we take a few minutes to talk about whatever is awesome in our life, whether it's books or TV shows, movies, podcast products, whatever is making life just a little bit more awesome right now. So Karen, I can't wait to hear what you brought for us this week. I brought a recipe.
1: Oh, yay. Fun. This recipe has kind of, it's become my signature, really. Whenever I show up to places, people always ask me if I have made it. Mm. It's a dessert and it is a very easy dessert and it's make ahead. And if you make
0: this, you will be the star of wherever you bring this. Oh, that sounds good. (laughs) Sounds good already. Sugar plus being the star of the show. Tell me more.
1: (laughs) And it's gluten-free. Oh, great. So I know that it's not sugar-free, but you probably could adapt it. Okay. It is chocolate truffle loaf with raspberry sauce.
0: Chocolate truffle loaf with raspberry sauce. Even just saying it is like, oh my gosh, yes, please.
1: <laughs> now there is a story behind this. I first discovered this myself when I was in college. I went to a women's college, Mary Baldwin College. And one of the holdovers from the more refined times was we would have Tuesday afternoon tea in the Dean of Students' office. How lovely. Now, every February, because it was the Dean of Students' birthday and because it was Valentine's Day, the tea theme was chocolate. So every second Tuesday in February, I would go and I would indulge in this luscious dessert. My senior year, I finally got up the nerve to ask, I need this recipe. (laughs) And she leaned over and confided to me, it's on the back of the baker's chocolate box. (laughs) I was like, seriously? So I promptly went out and purchased a box of Baker's Semi-Sweet Chocolate.
0: And sure enough, the recipe was right there. Oh my gosh, that is wonderful. Those moments are like, oh, it's been here this whole time. I could have been doing this myself. (laughs) And I will
1: make sure and get Meg a link so she can include it in the show notes. Yes. But I kept that cut out of the back of the box for many, many years. However, due to the wonderful internet, it is now available online. So you don't have to go out and buy the baker's chocolate box and cut it up and put it in your recipe book. It's much more
0: convenient now. (laughs) Totally, So fun. Okay. So what's the difficulty level? Because it sounds really fancy.
1: The difficulty level is beginner. Okay, even better. It is very easy. All you do is you melt chocolate, cream, and butter, and you mix some cream with some egg yolks, and then you cook that for about three minutes and cool that down. Then you whip cream and powdered sugar, and you mix that all together. You put it in a loaf pan that's lined with plastic wrap, and you throw it in the freezer. Okay. And the raspberry sauce, you just take frozen raspberries that are thawed, Oh, there's corn syrup in the warm mixture as well. You take corn syrup and raspberries and you blend those together. The recipe doesn't call for it, but I add a little bit of orange liqueur or orange juice, depending on your crowd that you're Mm -hmm. serving. And that just brightens up the sauce a little bit. And you put that through a wire mesh strainer to remove the seeds. And that's it. You unmold the loaf onto your serving plate, take off the plastic wrap and slice it. And then pour the raspberry sauce over the slices and prepare to be (laughs) worshipped. Love it. It is so easy. And everybody's like, I need this recipe. I'm like, it's one of those ones you're really embarrassed because (laughs) it's really easy. (laughs) If you can melt things on a stove
0: and you can whip cream, you can do this. You know what? I was just thinking, this actually sounds like something that even my girls would like to make because it does sound like, you know, this is beginner level stuff. But the payoff sounds really delicious. So, Oh, it
1: really, really is. (laughs) My husband calls it chocolate meatloaf. I was like, yeah, okay.
0: (laughs) It sort of looks like a meatloaf when it's there on the plate. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Okay, yes. So we will definitely, definitely put a link to that in the show notes so that you all can go be the star of your next gathering with this chocolate truffle loaf with the raspberry sauce. So delicious. My Awesome of the Week is also something consumable, but it is totally on a totally different spectrum here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, since I have gestational diabetes with this pregnancy, I unfortunately cannot indulge in any chocolate truffle loaves, but I'm always looking for like, what's a little sweet treat that I can have? So I recently found at Trader Joe's, They have a couple of almond beverages. They're not really almond milk. They're kind of just a dairy-free beverage, which I honestly have never really gotten that into, mostly because I'm not a big milk person. Like I like cheese and either. Yeah, I've just never been really that big into milk. So I had overlooked this for a long time, but this caught my eye on a recent trip to Trader Joe's and it's the Trader Joe's Lavender Blueberry, or maybe it's Blueberry Lavender, whatever. There's blueberry and there's lavender in it and it's an almond beverage. And I picked it up and it is so delicious, Karen. I was like, that sounds lovely. It really is. I was so surprised. I had pretty low expectations, but it tastes a little bit like eating blueberry waffles. Which... Ooh, I am definitely going to have to try this. <laughs> yes, I love blueberry waffles. I'm missing all things Carby so much right now, but this is giving me just that like little shot of blueberry flavor. And the lavender really brings an interesting layer of flavor to this. Again, I'm not really one to like drink a glass of anything like this. But what I did discover, it is so delicious in tea, especially I've really been using it in Earl Grey tea. I have a couple of boxes of the organic Earl Grey tea from Grove Collaborative. Oh my goodness. That sounds divine. Yes. It is a perfect pairing because I don't know, there's something about Earl Grey that kind of likes, I feel like a little bit of a floral fruity compliment to it. So anyway, this has been such a nice sweet treat that I can have because it's very, very low sugar. I think I'd have to drink a cup of the lavender blue. Blueberry almond to have even, you know, like five carbs or something. So just adding a little shot to my tea brings a ton of sweet flavor to it, but very little sugar. So I have super been loving it. And it's really, you know, how Trader Joe's can be. Sometimes you're like, should I try this? I don't know. It sounds weird. I don't know. It might be delicious. You never know what's going to happen. <laughs> Trust Trader Joe. He knows what he's doing. <laughs> he does. Yes. This is how you're adventurous when you're in your 40s, apparently. You're like, ooh, should I try this new thing at Trader Joe's? So anyway, I just want to say if you all like blueberry flavored things, if you are dairy free and you're always looking for something to kind of change things up and get that little bit of, you know, sort of dairy kick back into your life that you like a little flavor with it, or if you're looking for something to go with your hot tea to bring some new flavor to that, I highly, highly recommend the Trader Joe's blueberry lavender almond beverage. So those are our awesomes of the week. This week, you guys, you know, every single Friday, we cannot wait to hear what you have to share with us about what is awesome in your life. So I was just talking about Instagram every single Friday over at Sorta Awesome Show on Instagram. We are asking you all what's awesome of the week for you awesomes. And of course, we do this every Friday in our Sorta Awesome Hangout group. You know, we have over 5,000 women in that group who are truly awesome and very amazing. It's an incredible community. So if you have not joined us over there, we would love to have you. We do talk awesome of the week and all kinds of other things. Isn't that right, Karen? Yes. (laughs) All kinds of stuff. So if you have not joined us over there, we would love to have you at facebook.com slash groups slash sort of awesome hangout. Awesomes, you know one thing we have been all about from the very beginning of Sorta Awesome is discovering the best new must-have products that are out there. And so I know that you guys are going to love trying out FabFitFun. FabFitFun allows women everywhere to discover new products as well as including rave review must-have brands that you know and love. It's like Christmas four times a year. We recently got our very first FabFitFun box. I had the girls open it with me. We had so much fun. It really was like opening a present on Christmas morning. Of course, Of course, the girls and I loved the Generation Play Brightening Purple Clay Mask that was in there and the Grace and Stella Rose Facial Spray. what else surprised me were the Indigo Tie-Dye Bowls from West Elm. Y'all know I love new skin and beauty products, but I had no idea that Fat Pit Fun also includes darling things for your home. All of that and more came in our FabFitFun box. It's a seasonal subscription box. It gets delivered to you four times a year with full-size beauty, fashion, home, fitness, and wellness products. And it's just $49.99 a box. Again, that's full-size products on everything. No samples in this box. Every box is guaranteed to have over $200 in retail value. The 2019 Summer Box Total Retail is estimated anywhere from $269 to $467. So Awesomes, I know you want to sign up for FabFitFun today. These boxes always sell out, but use the code created just for the Awesomes. It's sort of awesome to get $10 off of your first box. Go to FabFitFun.com to sign up. Start getting a box for a life well-lived use our code sort of to get $10 off your first box. That's over $200 in amazing products for only $39.99. When you go to FabFitFun.com and use code sort of to get $10 off of your first FabFitFun box. Uh, Awesome! who says comfy cannot be work appropriate? Beta brand wants you to look good and feel good even at the office. And that's why they created the pants that women everywhere are loving, the dress pant yoga pants. I love that they have created these dress pant yoga pants with options for all shapes, sizes, and tastes. You can get these in boot cuts, straight legs, skinny, cropped, and more. They come in your standard colors like black, navy, gray, and khaki. And they also have some limited edition colors that are released monthly. All of them are totally appropriate for office wear. I've always been a little bit skeptical about yoga pants myself, but the fit and feel and not to mention the comfort of these dress pant yoga pants are like nothing I have ever tried. They're so much better than standard jeans or pants. They are so comfortable. You are not even going to mind leaving them on from morning until the very last thing at night. And since I know the awesomes are always all about being comfortable, I know you're going to totally be into the beta brand dress pant yoga pants too. So go to betabrand.com slash awesome to get 20% off of yours. Millions of women agree they are the most comfortable pants you will ever wear to work. That's betabrand.com, B-E-T-A-B-R-A-N-D.com slash awesome, A-W-E-S-O-M-E, all lowercase, to get 20% off of your dress pants yoga pants. Okay, Karen, before we get into these questions that I wanted to throw at you this week and see what wisdom you have to share with us. I want to back up just a little bit. Like I mentioned at the top of the show, for almost 15 years, you have been a person in my life that has really spoken so much just truth, but in such a loving, compassionate way. I've learned so much from you about establishing boundaries in life, how to do that in a loving way, but that keeps things healthy for myself or for our family. Going all the way back to Daisy's infancy, when I was freaking out and melting down about nap times and nighttime sleep, <laughs> all of the things that go with babies that I'm about to be back in the trenches for. <laughs> Hopefully this time I won't be melting down, but who knows? Stay tuned, everybody. We'll we'll see how I handle it. The well, you know the basics around. now, so you're good. You do know the basics. <laughs> That's true. I have that going for me. But you really have been just a steady voice of wisdom in my life. So this is something I've never really asked you, even though we've known each other for years. And that is, what did the beginning of your mothering journey look like? What was early mothering like for you? And how is it that you have come to settle into this confidence And really, I sense from you a compassion for wanting to bring other young moms into the fold and be like, everybody, it's going to be okay. How did you get to that place? Tell us the story.
1: Well, I want to preface this by saying that I am an INFP. I'm the most INFP there is, pretty much. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm Enneagram 4, Wing 5, and I'm highly sensitive. So a lot of those personality quirks I've discovered as I've gotten older, those played into a lot of my early decisions. When I had my first baby, Sarah, we lived in Texas, and we were far away from all of our family was back on the East Coast. We were in Irving in DFW, and we were the first of all of our friend group to have a baby. So I had nobody. It was just me. I parented mostly by trusting my instincts. I knew from my own childhood that there had to be a better way to do things. So I wanted to be for my children what I needed as a child.
0: Oh, And I wow. don't
1: think that when I was 26 and having my first baby that I could have articulated that. But I think that's really what I wanted. I knew there had to be a better way. And so I tried to find that. I was crunchy before it was a thing. Before crunchy went mainstream. (laughs) I was attachment parenting before, I think really before it even had a name. My first baby was born in 1994. I had a snuggly front pack. Yes, it was a snuggly. I've since moved on from that. And (laughs) I would go out in public baby wearing in the 90s. And I didn't care that I got weird looks. I was like, well, this works for me. And there was something inside me that I guess is the authenticity seeker in me. Ah, yes. I had to do what worked for me just because somebody said that this is how it's supposed to be if it didn't feel right for me. I didn't do it. I didn't have a lot of support, but I also didn't have a lot of people around me saying, this is the way you really need to be doing this.
0: Oh, yeah. It
1: freed me up to be able to kind of find my own way. I can totally see how that would be the
0: case. That, yeah, it's sort of like a double-edged sword in that you are having to figure it out all on your own, but you don't have any critical voices that are coming along to correct you for every little thing.
1: Yes. Yes. I did have a few moments where you just, you know, things that the baby is supposed to nap in their bed. And so when I would go take a shower and I would find her sleeping on Brian's chest, I would be like, you're going to ruin her. You're going to ruin her. And (laughs) yes, Brian, my husband, in his infinite wisdom said, she's sleeping. Let her be. (laughs) Yes.
0: Your husband, isn't he also an Enneagram 5, like mine is? I feel like that's right. Yeah. So they're they're like, who cares? This is efficient. This is how we're doing it.
1: Yes. He's an INTP Enneagram 5. Yeah. So, yes, it was, if it's working, let it be. One of the major epiphanies that I had was in one of those early, middle of the night nursing sessions when Sarah was, she was technically a preemie, but we didn't spend any time in the NICU. She was three and a half weeks early. So her nursing schedule was she would nurse every 90 minutes and it would take her 45 minutes to feed.
0: Oh, bless it.
1: There was a lot of time spent in the Lazy Boy. (laughs) And in the middle of the night, I remember being in tears and looking down at her. And I had this epiphany. This must be how God feels when he looks at us.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: And that was life-changing because it reframes the way you see everything. It does. The way you see your children, the way you see yourself, the way you see the world. And I think that was probably the basis of my search for a more gentle parenting journey.
0: Oh, that's so beautiful. And it makes so much sense. Sometimes we just have, like you said, those epiphanies that really create a whole paradigm shift that really informs how we kind of take the next best step forward. That makes so much sense. Well, thank you for sharing that beginning of your story. And like you said, it really does make sense and is totally in alignment for these different aspects of your personality that you have a true passion, not in a big, brash, look at me kind of way, but in a gentle, let me just step into this situation and offer this thought for you kind of way of really providing guidance when people feel like they're kind of flailing and need something that they can kind of grab onto. I know you've done that for me many times and many times in the Hangout group too. Since we were just talking about babies and sleep and what works, (laughs) the first question I wanted to ask you was about babies and sleep. I don't have a specific question. I went through the Hangout and really just kind of tried to parse through some of our parenting-based posts. This is one I don't have a specific question on, but it definitely comes up. Very often in there, when you're a new parent, especially if you're a new mom, when it comes to sleep, there is so much conflicting advice and rules and... (laughs) I've been spending a lot of time on Pinterest again, which I haven't for years, but now Pinterest has figured out that I have a new baby on the way. And so <laughs> other- suggestion—yes, yes. every other pin, I feel like they're suggesting to me has to do with babies and sleep schedules. I'm like, guys, I don't need this right now. <laughs> but I would love to hear, what is your kind of overarching wisdom or advice that you usually share when it comes to babies and sleep? And because you did do this for many years consecutively when your little ones were little, What were some of the practical ways that you like sort of maintained your sanity and your humanity during all of those sleep-deprived seasons of life? I
1: want to first put out a caveat out there. I'm not a fan of sleep training. It is not something that goes along with my personality, but a lot of people do have success with that. But for me, that was never something that worked. Right. We did bed share and co-sleep. And that saved my sanity. Now, I will say that my first baby never quite, I don't know if it's because she was a borderline preemie, but she never quite figured out how to nurse lying down. Okay. So I didn't really bed share with her much. We did co-sleep, but I did not bed share because I had to sit up to feed her. (laughs) So it just wasn't practical. But for all the rest of the six, we did bed share. To me, if you're breastfeeding, you don't even have to fully wake up you just undo your bra and baby latches on. And for me, what I would do when baby was done, if baby was still awake, I needed sleep. So I would just roll the baby over to my husband and say, your turn.
0: (laughs) And dad is right there. Yes.
1: (laughs) It's very convenient. But babies who wake at night are normal. This is a biological norm. So if your baby is not sleeping for more than a couple of hours especially in the first 6 weeks you aren't doing anything wrong this is biologically normal yes babies are wired that way it's to keep them safe from predators to stimulate milk production and sleeping through the night it's not a contest you know you don't get a medal for it none of mine slept through the night until they were night weaned which was well into toddlerhood for <laughs> for all mm-hmm. of them i believe but you do get creative in how you get your rest most important thing is to find what works for you. There's no right answer. There's no one magic formula for this. Every baby is different. And what worked for your first baby will not 100% not work for your second baby or any baby after that, as you know. So true. (laughs) Yes. And with any baby, once you think you've got it figured out, they go through another stage and everything changes. So you're back at square one going, ah.
0: Every time, every
1: time, every time. Yes. And that's something to remember also is that it might seem like it's forever right now, but it's not. This is not forever. You're not going to ruin your baby by giving them what they need.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: Because they're so little that their wants and their needs are the same thing. It may be inconvenient, but it's only for a very short period of time. And just wait a few weeks and it will change. I'm not saying it'll get better, but it will change.
0: (laughs) So it absolutely will. Yes. And I'm glad that you pointed out the differences between babies, even within the same family. And it kind of, just to circle back to what you said about sleep training with my first, there was no way Daisy could have been sleep trained. It did not fit my personality at the time, but it definitely didn't fit her personality and her needs. Then along comes AJ, you know, not even three years later, same recipe, making (laughs) a new baby. And that child was like born to be on a schedule. She slept from early on. And when I had AJ, it really helped me to understand like, oh, this actually could work. Like I, I would never have worked the first time around we were just we're not in a season of life where I really had to be or felt compelled to be strict about putting her on a schedule that just wasn't our life circumstance. But having a newborn is just like, okay, you tell me when to eat. And she slept through the night early, like all of these things. It was so mind boggling. (laughs) Because it was so different. Yes, two totally different newborn experiences in the same context, the same family, which is so weird. I wish someone would have told me that a long time ago, like, same recipe, different cookies, get ready for it because it's going to be a new experience every time. <laughs> and I'm trying to remember that a lot these days as our next baby is on the way. Like he's going to do his own thing too. Yes. And I need to be prepared for that. That's another thing. Listen to your baby, not a book,
1: because your baby will teach you everything you need to parent them. You just have to watch for their own unique cues. And every baby has their own cues. And if you can figure out what those cues are, that makes everybody's life go that much smoother. Because like with AJ, she didn't need the constant attention that Daisy did. My second was the same way. She slept a lot and she was just very calm and easygoing. And even in the womb, she was a completely different child than her older sister who was bouncy. And we always joked about her favorite color was yellow because it's yellow like the sun. She's just very bright and sparkly personality. And Amanda is, is very calm and introverted and they exhibited that as infants. So pay attention to your baby and your baby will let you know what they need from you.
0: Absolutely. That was
1: very, very helpful to figure that out.
0: And I think it gives a lot of freedom too. It can feel a little scary because especially I think the first time around, you're like, how am I supposed to listen to a baby? (laughs) What does that look like? But once you just kind of relax into it and really tune into what's happening in your dynamic and what the baby is communicating There is a lot of freedom to it. You can be like, okay, I'm not going to stress out about this thing because obviously this is what we need to do right now. So it does open up a whole different world.
1: You can trust your instincts. Yes. You really can. I want to say that again. You can trust your instincts. If your instincts are telling you something that's different than what everybody else is telling you, this is your baby. You know, there is something to mother's intuition. You do know, and it's perfectly okay. I give you permission to trust your instincts.
0: So good, thank you. Somebody needs to tell us that often. So thank you. I love it. Okay, let's move on and talk about toddlerhood. Karen, I have to tell you, I am one. I know I'm weird. I love the newborn phase. Oh, I do too. So snuggly and cuddly, and uh, in a lot of ways, it's kind of easier. It's just a lot of feeding and figuring out sleep and stuff like that. Toddlerhood. Oh my gosh, I can't believe. Newborns stay stay where you put them. Toddlers do not. (laughs) Toddlers (laughs) do not. They're so busy. Okay, so I found a question, a recent question, actually, about toddlerhood specifically that I wanted to ask. I'm not going to say which awesome asked this because I didn't ask permission, but she basically was saying that her oldest child was very easy and now her second has come along and he is almost three. So all veteran parents are like, oh, okay, good. Here we go. Because this is, this is not a good age. No, it's a challenging age, but it's all ages are good ages. And she's feeling frustrated. He's really good for his sitters and at daycare. He's really cute, but he doesn't listen or follow instructions that he gets from mom and dad. So they've tried various kinds of consequences and punishments. It doesn't seem to be making much of a difference, even when her husband is like yelling at him when he reaches the end of his fuse. That's not working. So she finished up her question by saying, I'm feeling a bit desperate to nip this in the bud in a healthy way. I feel like we're failing miserably. So I would love to hear what some of your thoughts might be on this specific question that is so common to that age of parenting.
1: Well, this is something that's a technique that's useful, not just for the toddler years, but for the entirety of actually for all of human interaction. You need to figure out why the behavior is occurring. If you can figure out the motivation behind the behavior and address that, then the acting out will stop. Behavior is communication. Okay. And toddlers, especially, do not have the words, they do not have the tools or the maturity to appropriately figure out how to deal with what's going on inside so they act out. The fact that he's only acting out with the parents means that that's actually a good sign because he trusts you. He feels safe with you. Mm. And they're still so little. They're still babies in so many ways. So it takes a whole lot of their energy to be good. And I put that in air quotes when they're at daycare, when they're in the church nursery, when they're with somebody else that when they come home it's perfectly normal for them to lose it because they've been holding on to all of this all day and they
0: can't do it anymore yeah i mean i think we even see that with like kindergartners are yes. known for having that after school meltdown because it's so much external pressure to behave 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 and then when they get to their safe place in their home again like you said it's actually a sign of a healthy family that when they get home they, they fall, fall apart, apart.
1: because
0: they've <laughs> been holding
1: it in all day You may need to once again work with your individual child's own unique dynamics. Do they need help transitioning in situations? Do they need like a five minute warning? My kids get a five minute warning. In five minutes, it's going to be time to clean up. In five minutes, it's going to be time to leave the park. In five minutes, we're going to put our shoes on. That way, you can help them transition from one activity to the next. Also, giving little ones a list, a multi step list. They can't process that.
0: They literally cognitively cannot.
1: Cognitively can't. So yeah, you need to lower your expectations. You may want them to be acting at a level that they just can't. So one thing at a time. Mm. In five minutes, we're going to get our shoes on. Can you help me find your shoes? Okay, let's put your shoes on now. And it's very repetitive. But if you keep and one thing at a time, you can't tell a three-year-old to go upstairs, brush your teeth, get your clothes on and come eat breakfast and expect that to happen. Right. They'll start to go up the stairs and they'll find a matchbox car in the stairs. And you come back 10 (laughs) minutes later and they're like, what? It was a car. Exactly. And that's perfectly normal. There's nothing (laughs) wrong with you and there's nothing wrong with your child. That's just where they are developmentally. It's not until they're in school, really kindergarten, first grade that they are capable of doing a multiple step list. Lower your expectations for what toddlers can accomplish one thing at a time with reminders and help. If you understand that's normal, it really is a sanity saver because there's nothing wrong with you and there's nothing wrong with your kid. It's just developmental.
0: The thing about toddlerhood, and you said this so well, is that it's so repetitive. And for us as adults, I think that we do tend to think like, we have gone over this and over this, that this is how we do this. And it can feel like nothing is working and nothing is sinking in because it's a lot of giving the same instructions over and over. But for them, I mean, they're learning literally all of this brand new from scratch and their brains just are not working. Of course, they're not working at an adult level. And I think that that's a big component of why so many parents, when they have toddlers, do feel like they're failing because we expect them to be like, okay, we did this for five days in a row. How have you not learned this? And it's a definite thing of adjusting those expectations, kind of, you know, maybe do a little asking around or digging around to figure out what is developmentally appropriate at this age, if you're not familiar with that context, but understanding that it's a big adjustment in what you think would be right versus reality for toddlers.
1: And one thing that I read, and I don't remember when or where that I read this, that really changed the whole way I process toddlerhood is Toddlers are little scientists. Oh, yeah. They spend all of their endless energy experimenting and trying to figure out how the world and how their environment works. So if you frame toddlerhood in that way, instead of it being a battle of wills, then you realize that it's a partnership where you're helping them to figure out the boundaries, the language, the physics, the chemistry, the relationships. They're just out there trying to discover all of this. They don't have a cognitive understanding that this is an inappropriate thing to be doing. They're just so inquisitive. They just wanna see what happens if I do this. What happens if I do this? What happens if I dump the milk on the floor? Yeah. What happens if I throw my spoon across the room? What happens if I hit my sister on the head with this bat? (laughs) Yes. If you reframe it as they're just trying to figure out their world, at least for me, it made it so much easier to have more patience with them, that they're not doing this to be bad. They're not doing this to get back at me for something. (laughs) They're just trying to figure it out. Toddlers don't have the language. That's one of the big reasons that they will have tantrums is they don't have the words. And they have these big feelings and they don't have the skills to express them. So if you can also help them find their words, I know you're angry right now. I know this is making you sad. If you help them name their feelings and you acknowledge that they are having those feelings, that can do so much to diffuse a tantrum because all they want to do is be understood. So you're just trying to let them know that I see you and I understand you. And it's also okay to say, I see you and I understand you, but this is not an appropriate time for that. So that way you're helping them learn boundaries along the way, but it takes a whole lot of patience.
0: I'm so glad you said that because I do think that for some parents, they might hear you saying like, they want to be understood. And so they might be like, well, are you saying we should just let them do whatever they want to because they're discovering how the world works or because they want to be understood. There's definitely still a component of like, these are the rules in our house. This is how our family works. This is how our home works. It's not a matter of just like free reign. They're running all over the place, you know, destroying the house and wreaking havoc in life. There is still that boundary that you're teaching them because they are learning how the world works, but they're also learning how our family works.
1: Yes. And I'm a big fan of natural consequences. You spill milk on the floor, come over and help me clean it up. You dump out the toys. We're going to put the toys away. You throw the toy at your sister. The toy goes in toy timeout. Mm -hmm. I'm not really a fan of punishments. I don't think they work, but I am a fan of natural consequences. So instead of putting the child in timeout, you put the toy in timeout. The toy goes away. You can't play with that appropriately. The toy is going away until you can figure out how to play with it appropriately. So no, not permissive parenting at all. This is more helping them figure out where the boundaries are and how to deal appropriately with those boundaries. Because what you're teaching them how to be in relationships their whole life, but you also want them to understand that they are valued as a person, that their emotions and responses are important. I see that you're angry, but that does not change the fact that you still have to take a bath.
0: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) It's definitely both and. It's both understanding and having compassion and understanding where they're coming from and also teaching them along the way. This is how we do things in our family. Yeah, this is life. You have to take a bath. You have to brush your teeth. You have to do these things. So it's totally a more holistic way of looking at what's going on with toddler behavior. Awesome. I think we can all agree that looking good feels great. This is the honest truth. The other day I started out the day kind of feeling bummed out about life. I put on a full face of makeup and before I knew it, I was feeling like I was ready to take on the world again. But for most of us, really being able to devote that kind of time and energy into our look, it's not an everyday occurrence. Sometimes you've got to look good now and keep things as easy as possible. And that is what Wander Beauty is all about. Wander Beauty is for the woman on the go. So whether you're doing your makeup in the car or handling skincare at the gym, everything is travel friendly and made to fit into your busy lifestyle wonder beauty is all about doing more with less their beauty essentials are multitasking and multi-purpose they allow you to create a full look without a full makeup bag everything is made with skin loving ingredients from around the globe you don't have to choose between good for you ingredients and high performance beauty and because there's nothing more stressful than glass breaking and loose powder spilling all over your bag everything wonder beauty makes is mess free and stress free and because we don't all have time for a 12-step routine. Wander Beauty gives you maximum impact with minimum effort. Awesome! go get 20% off of your purchase at wanderbeauty.com slash awesome. That's wanderbeauty.com slash awesome for 20% off. wanderbeauty.com slash awesome awesomes in the midst of busy family life at home with four kids during the summer, it's the time that I most need to carve out a few minutes of my day for rest, reflection, and prayer. And that's why I love The Upper Room. The Upper Room is a global ministry where you can join a worldwide community of believers in daily prayer and devotional practice. Every day, readers of The Upper Room around the world read the same story in many different languages and pray the same prayer together. Now that school is out, you can create a daily devotional practice for your whole family, helping to bring you together each day in mindfulness. The daily devotional guide and the community it draws together invite people to listen to Scripture as God's personal message linking their stories to God's story. Commune with God in prayer, see your daily choices and small acts of obedience as part of God's work, and realize our connection with others as a universal family of believers. Upper Room's goal is to foster an international community of people and congregations who are seeking God, building a vision of a new life in Christ, nurturing one another by sharing experiences of God's love and guidance, and encouraging one another in Christian action to transform the world. The Upper Room is committed to exploring and communicating a biblically and theologically informed vision of spiritual life. So go to upper slash welcome to enjoy a free 30 day trial delivered right to your inbox every day. And you can also access a wealth of resources with your account at the upper room. So head on over to upper slash welcome for your free 30 day trial. Let's talk a little bit about elementary kids. This one I don't want to spend too much time on. This is my own question. <laughs> I'm going to interject my own question in here. and It has to do with more elementary kind of tween-aged kids and what to do about siblings who squabble. Kyle and I have different approaches to this. He, being very efficient, is just like, shut it down, knock it off. You know, like he's like, make it stop right now. And he does not intervene. He doesn't like try to problem solve or anything. I, as an Enneagram 9 over here, I'm like trying to seek peace for everyone. <laughs> So I feel compelled to get in the middle of the different squabbles, whether it's over a toy or whether it's over something bigger that's going on, especially with my older girls. I am so curious to know, what is your personal philosophy and practice when it comes to sibling squabbling? Do you intervene? Do you let them work it out? How do you handle it?
1: I usually don't intervene very much except to remind them that we use our words to be kind. And I do ask them, if you're going to continue this, please take it somewhere where I can't hear it. Oh, that's good. But I do trust that you can work
0: this out. That's really good. I didn't even know that was an option. (laughs) Seriously, that makes a lot of sense. Because again, I'm such a peace seeker type that they're squabbling, it disturbs what's going on around me. I don't want to hear it. Like I said, I feel compelled to try to be like, let's problem solve this. Let's work this out together. That of course, doesn't bring any more peace <laughs> to me, because then now I'm just in the middle of all the meds slinging, you know? So I really like that approach. The only time I step in
1: is if there's an imbalance of power that's going on or triangulation when they're bullying each other or ganging up on another sibling. And then I'll be like, guys, this needs to stop because and this is why. And then I will list, you know, because this is inappropriate behavior and you're not using your powers for good. That's another saying we have in our house, use your powers for good.
0: Oh, that's good.
1: So that I will step in if I notice that there's some bullying going on. Other than that, I just take it where I can't hear it. Some kids also just don't get along at this age at all. No matter what you do, they constantly bicker. And two of mine, I had to rearrange the booster seats in the car because they couldn't (laughs) be in the same row with each other. Oh, my gosh.
0: to Here. Yes.
1: (laughs) But I do want to reassure you that now that they are in their late teens and 20 somethings that they are the best of friends.
0: Oh, that's so good.
1: So just because they go through a period of not being able to tolerate each other does not mean that they're going to hate each other for life. Like with everybody else, kids have different personalities and some personalities just don't get along, especially at that age when they get a little bit older and they have some more life skills. And when the ages aren't quite so much dog years and they find what they have in common, they will develop a relationship with each other and they will actually like each other. Oh, it's so good to know. I'm looking forward to
0: that day so very much. Okay, let's move on. And this is still kind of in the same age range as elementary, but it definitely extends on upward into the teen years let's talk about screen time. All parents everywhere in our culture are like still grappling with this thing of screen time. How do we go about setting limits? Should we set limits? Should we only set limits for specific things? A recent question in the Hangout group was talking about limiting screen time for your kids. And should you make an exception if you do have limits, if it's for something that's actually educational, as opposed to, let's say, video gaming? But if they're actively learning something that does happen to take place on a screen, do you give them more time for that? Do you use that as a reward for these things? There's so many questions out there about how to handle screen time. Again, your oldest was born in 1994. So you have actually like been in the trenches of this as technology has developed around us. So you have seen a whole evolution. And I would love to hear where you land now when it comes to how do we handle screen time as parents?
1: I think this is something that's going to be very case-specific for every family. Every family is going to have a different comfort level with screens and technology. I'm very upfront. We're a gamer family. We don't limit screen time. It's on a child-by-child, on a case-by-case basis. As long as you're getting everything done that needs to be done, as long as your grades are good, as long as you are getting enough sleep, and as long as you're being a productive member of the family, go for it. I don't care. If any of those things drop off, then we have a discussion. Okay. It's because I believe that I want them to learn how to manage technology and screens and all of that while they're under my roof, while they have me as a safety net. Because if they have all of these restrictions in place and all of a sudden they go off to college and they don't have any restrictions, that's a recipe for disaster. And I have seen that happen with my kids' friends in college.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: Think it's kind of like alcohol or anything else for that matter, if you tamp down too much, if you restrict them too much, and then all of a sudden they have this freedom, they haven't learned how to handle it. So part of my job as a parent is to teach them how to internally figure out what their limits are.
0: Oh, that's so
1: good. That
0: really pretty much applies to all of parenting, right? Yes, actually it does. (laughs) But definitely when it comes to screen time, because the toothpaste is out of the tube on technology technology, screens, this will be a part of our children's lives for the foreseeable future. And so it absolutely is about helping them be in touch and connected to themselves to know how to navigate what is healthy for them. And that's really hard, especially even in the teenage years. We're talking about young people who have not fully reached that cognitive development. Right. So they need that structure in place, I think. My youngest has some sensory issues, He's
1: very highly sensitive. He will start to get frustrated if he's playing a game and I will tell him, okay, this is the last round. You need a break. So once again, it's reading my 14-year-old. If he starts to get a little attitude, I'll say, okay, I think we're done with the games for now. You need to go have some outside time. You need to go ride your bike. Ours is more on a case-by-case basis when you're not handling your screens responsibly, then I will step in and help you figure out how to do that. So this is me coming in and helping them see that this is maybe where you need a limit. And I'm going to help you find that right now.
0: Yeah. You know what is so interesting? The twins had never really been into screens until they figured out that they could play Roblox on AJ's. We gave her an old iPhone that she just kind of uses for a few apps. They figured out Roblox was on there. And here are my twins who are identical twins. One of them does fine with screens. He'll sit down and play Roblox for like 15 or 20 minutes and then he'll get up and wander off and go do something else. The other one gets completely consumed, like immediately will start to go into meltdown mode when he's losing too much or he can't find a specific part of Roblox that he wanted to play. We really have had to figure out how to navigate that. We have one who can, you know, have a little fun on there. But for the other one, it quickly becomes not fun for him. You can see the stress that it's actually causing him. Mine's the same way. Yeah, it's so (laughs) crazy because you would think they're alike in so many ways, but in this way, we really have to parent them differently and really help them to govern themselves differently when it does come to screen time. And so, yeah, I think it's really hard to say, like, here is the definitive answer for screen time. (laughs) It's like there is no definitive answer
1: to anything in parenting,
0: unfortunately. Unfortunately. The truth. We are all on this journey together, though, within our families, for sure. But I love that. I love that idea that you guys, what works in your family, in your family culture is, yeah, we're going to have fun on screens as long as fun on screens looks like, you know, still being a productive part of our family and taking care of our actual physical bodies. (laughs) So that totally makes sense. Okay, let's talk about the fact that your kids are older now, Karen. Yes, I know. You have, is it three of your kids who have graduated in or out of the house now? Four, actually. Four! Oh my gosh!
1: <laughs> Time
0: goes by so fast.
1: Number four started college this fall. He's finishing up his freshman year as we speak, taking finals. My goodness. Now I do have, my oldest is still living at home. She's living at home and working and going to school. So three that are out of the house, but yes,
0: there are four who have graduated from high school. Who have graduated and who are moving forward in all of the ways that that looks like for their life after high school. And I would love to know, because here's where I think young parents or first-time parents This is a fear that we have is like, things I'm doing right now are going to totally mess up my kids for later. (laughs) So you are in that like later phase of life with them moving into young adulthood and this new chapter in their life. What are you learning about navigating this new dynamic as a mother with your young adult children? And then if you have just a few minutes to think back, what are some of the foundational practices that you put in place when they were younger that really have allowed you to continue to have strong relationships with your kids, even after they have, you know, kind of finished up their high schooling years and are doing their own thing now?
1: One thing is we are a very open and honest family here. We talk about all of the things. We talk about sex, we talk about periods, we talk about relationships, we talk about consent, we talk about all of it. And we talk about it very openly and without shame. And I think that's something that has really paid off as they've gotten older. My older kids actually have friends who say that they wish that their parents were like us. Oh, that's like the best thing to hear, right? Isn't that what every parent wants to hear? Yes, (laughs) totally. And that you can talk that with your parents? Like, yes. We talk about everything because I firmly believe that I want them to trust me as their primary source of information. I don't want them going to the internet. I don't want them going to their friends. I would like them to be able to say, I'm having this problem. Can you help me figure
0: it out? Yeah.
1: And just being very open, especially with sex, you have to lean into the squirm, as it were. <laughs> yes. And the first few times it feels really strange, like something you're not supposed to talk about. But once you figure out that this is a part of their life and it will be going forward and that this is normal, this is natural, this is a part of the relationship, you talk about it openly with them, they will ask you questions. You're building that trust that they can come to you with anything and that you're not afraid. Right. You can also say, I don't know. And they appreciate that Teens especially can smell when you're faking it. One of the best things you can do is say, I don't know. I've never had that happen to me. Honestly, I can't tell you. And they respect that. Yeah. They respect honesty. The other thing is that during the teen years, a lot of parents, this is really, really hard. You have to switch from parent mode to mentor mode. This happens for us. This happens really gradually starting at about 16-ish. You back off telling them what to do and into more of giving advice because you're preparing them to leave. You're not going to be there at 2 a.m. their sophomore year in college. You want them to have that foundation that they're confident in their own decision-making abilities. So you need to let them practice those decision-making abilities while they're still at home.
0: It's really hard. It's really (laughs) hard to pull
1: back. This often involves letting them fail. And you also have to sometimes wait until they ask you for advice, especially when after they've left home. Would you like some advice? And sometimes they'll say, "No, I got this." yeah, and you have to be okay with that, and it's really hard because a lot of times you can see where this is going <laughs> because you you've been you were nineteen once, and you can see exactly where this is going, but they need to have the freedom to learn how to figure that out on their own, yeah. One of the biggest payoffs that you'll get is when they come back to you and they say, mom, you were right. Mm. (laughs) You're like,
0: yes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's so good. Yeah. I have a couple of phrases that I use when I'm saying goodbye to my older children, and they will probably write this on my tombstone. (laughs) Adult choices have adult consequences, so choose wisely like I said, we discuss consent a lot. And this is important, especially in you know the age of me too. Yeah. Anything other than an enthusiastic yes is a no. So always ask. And if you can't talk about it, you shouldn't be
0: doing it. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> so good. And so true. Oh, I love all of that. That's so hopeful and helpful. And it's so great to hear from moms who are on that end of the spectrum of parenting of like, this is still good. There's still great parts of parenting. I think a lot of us maybe have some of our own unresolved issues.
1: (laughs) Can I just tell you having older kids, having adult children, it's the best thing. I don't think I anticipated how awesome it was going to be having adult children. You have your own inside jokes. Most of them are inappropriate. (laughs) You can watch adult shows with them and have in-depth conversations. You can discuss philosophy at the dinner table. They have just wonderful sense of humor and it's just amazing. So as hard as it is right now, the payoff is absolutely worth it.
0: Oh, that's so good. Before we wrap up, do you have just any sort of closing thoughts, general, universal, wisdom for those of us who are listening and really hanging on your every word (laughs) as you share this guidance with us. Any closing thoughts before we wrap up?
1: One thing that was a game changer for me was in the realm of gentle parenting was the phrase always assign positive intent. Yes, I believe that so much. Children are doing the best they can, just like all of us are. They want to please you, They aren't trying to be bad. They are having a hard time. Mm -hmm. They're allowed to have bad days. They're allowed to have bad moods. They're allowed to not to want to do something. I mean, adults are allowed to not to want to do something. (laughs) Right. I think that it's important to realize that we can't hold our children to higher expectations than we hold ourselves.
0: And it's so easy to slip into that mindset. Yes, it is. That is so true to really kind of be able to step back and think like, yeah, you know what? There are things that I don't want to do. And I kind of wish I could throw a fit about it. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Oh, that's so good. So, so true. Well, this has been an amazing hour. I feel like we have gotten to go to an incredible parenting seminar for free. Oh, thank you. (laughs) It's been an honor to be here. Well, thank you for saying that. Really, I do so much appreciate you taking the time. I know that you spent a lot of time thinking about these questions and what guidance to share. So I really appreciate it. I did mention, of course, you're very active in our sort of awesome hangout group. Are there any other social media spots? where we can find you for any follow-up questions? Or is the Hangout really the best place?
1: The Hangout is probably the best place. I am on Instagram at kmcveigh5. Okay. And I am on Twitter at kmcveigh5. I'm there occasionally. I do more lurking than actual posting. (laughs) (laughs) I get it. And I am on Facebook. You can click through to my profile from the Soar Awesome Hangout group. And there I am.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much. Because again, I just know that so many people already know who you are. And I know that they're going to be so excited to hear your voice and hear you talk through some of these philosophies. So super appreciate it. Awesome. if you want to find me, you can find me on social media as Sorta Awesome Meg. You can find the show over on Twitter at Sorta Awesome Pod. And you can find us anytime on Facebook at facebook.com slash Sorta Awesome. Sorta Awesome was created and is hosted by me, Meg Teets. Sarah Robertson is our assistant producer and production collaboration comes from Kelly Gordon and Rebecca Hoffer. Kelly Gordon is our digital media producer and we are so thankful for the ongoing support from our listener supporters. Music is provided by the band Prager. You can find more of Prager's music at pragermusic.com. To find show notes on this and every episode of Sorta Awesome, and also to spread the Sorta Awesome love to all of your friends, you can head on over to SortaAwesomeShow.com. Seeking the truth never gets old.